Today, we're in Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through 27. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage? As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, and Piram, king of Jarmuth, and Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it's made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, king of Hebron, king of Jarmuth, king of Lachish, king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and the mighty men of valor. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent to Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Ezekiah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent at Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large hailstones from heaven, on them as far as Ezekiel, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set down, to set for about a whole day. There had been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned with all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave of Makeda. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in a cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves, pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter the cities for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua, the son of Israel had, and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out. And when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp of Makeda. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, king of Hebron, king of Jarmuth, king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. 
And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel, and he said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the neck of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death and hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remains to this very day. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So as, as uh, Kip uh, so eloquently reminded us of these this past passages that we've been going through, Israel had gone through some really painful lessons. The attack on Ai without listening to the Lord when they lost 36 soldiers, and then the followed by the Gibeonite deception because they didn't listen to the Lord. They didn't seek the Lord. The consequences were long-term, one of which they are going to face in the chapter today. The leaders of Israel were commanded uh, commended for keeping their oath in that alliance with Israel. That The people didn't like it. The people all complained about it. The people wanted them to break their oath, but they knew that they had sworn in the Lord's name, so they had to keep the oath with Gibeon. And now that commitment that they made, that the leaders of Israel made, was about to be tested. So again, verses 1 and 2 as soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king, as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors." Now, the, the king of Jerusalem is named Adonai Zedek, and that means Lord of Justice. Or you could also tr translate it as leader of retribution, which is kind of fitting for what he's attempting to do. Um, he's about to meet the real Lord of Justice. But he, he, the whole idea here is that he wants to stop any of the other uh, people groups, any of the other cities from joining with Israel. So Gibeon has joined. He wants to punish them so the other nations will fear joining with Israel and helping Israel. So he's going to, his plan is to smite Israel and give a warning to the rest of the nations around him so that they won't desert. And he felt he needed to do this because Gibeon's warriors were men of a reputation of being great warriors. And so he thought, if, if they give in, other, other cities are gonna follow, so I've gotta stop this. And on top of that, he was afraid that if Israel prevailed, what happened to the kings of Jericho and I would also happen to him. And so, so he wanted to stop anybody from rebelling. Verses three through five. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, and Piram, king of Jeremoth, and Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up 
to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon because it's made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, of Hebron, of Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. So those five kings that were in the south of Israel, this is south of Jerusalem and south, uh, got together and followed the, this king, Adonai Zedek, in trying to punish Gibeon. It's kind of interesting to me that all that they knew, um, you wouldn't think news would, I mean, they don't have smartphones and they're not watching TV, but they knew about what was done to the king of Jericho. They knew about the fall of Jericho. They knew about the fall of Ai. They knew Israel's leader was named Joshua. They had quite a bit of information. And even though they knew all these things that the God of Israel had accomplished through Israel, they thought they could still resist them. They thought that they were powerful enough to resist the God of Israel. Um, people today make the same mistake, don't we? We think we can get away with resisting God, um, but you can't. So just as Jericho and I knew about Israel's deliverance from Egypt and their victories in the wilderness, Adonai Zedek knew about those victories too. And since we know that Rahab knew about those things, remember before Jericho fell, surely word had spread throughout the whole region. So they're thinking this is the only way to stop them is to all join together and attack. So verse 6, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Don't relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Gibeon sees all these forces coming against them. They send a scout out to, to go tell Joshua what was happening. I call this a Holy Spirit setup. Because if this didn't happen, Joshua would have had to go to each walled city one at a time and conquer each one. But God brought them all together all at once so it could, Joshua could deal with them all at one time. Adonai Zedek's uh, fear really hastened his demise. His good idea of punishing Gibeah Gibeon was going to be his undoing. And Gibeon's plea was for Joshua to push on in his war in that region. Don't relax your hand. In other words, we know God's given you it, this whole area. So come on, do it. And in the process, save us. So instead of being a warning to the allies of the region not to, to def, uh, def, join with Gibeon, um, it really became uh, a warning to them that they better not fight Israel. So the hearts of the people in that region were so hardened. And we read, we've seen earlier in previous studies in Joshua, the reason that they're taking this whole land is because God had given them 400 years to repent. And yet their hearts of the Amorites had grown harder and harder. And God said when the time came, their iniquity, the cup of iniquity would be completely full. And that's when Israel would come and take the land. It was a part of God's judgments on the land. 
And as we saw in a previous passage, they could have surrendered. Moses told Joshua, if anyone opens their gates and gives in, then they, they can be your, become your servants. And like we saw uh, two weeks ago, as, as Kip pointed out, they even eventually, Gibeonites became a part of the nation of Israel, became accepted as the people of Israel. That could have happened to any of these people. But because they didn't, it just shows that what God's word said, that they, their, their cup of iniquity was full. They couldn't. Their hearts were so hard. Verse 7 and 8. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So when Joshua got the news, he immediately gathered his forces and began to move towards Gibeon. He had acted before without the word of the Lord with disastrous results. So this time he acts as soon as he hears from God. God says, I have given them into your hands. Not you may win or I'm going to help you to win. It's done. It's a done deal. I have given them into your hands and not a man of them shall stand before you, which means none of their armies will be successful against Israel. So again, the word of the Lord is saying it's done. It's accomplished. God says it, it's going to happen. When the word of God tells us that greater is he than it, that is in you than he that is in the world, it's a done deal. Do you believe it? So sometimes the enemy tries to tell us we're never going to get a victory over this area in our life or we're never going to grow past this, this place we seem to be stuck at, this plateau we seem to be on. But the enemy of our soul cannot stand against him. If we'll submit to him, if we'll listen to his leading, if we'll follow his leading, we will be victorious in every spiritual battle. Amen? God told Joshua through Moses that every place he put his foot would be theirs. They'd conquer it. They'd be victorious. And the same is true for us in our spiritual battles. If we'll listen to the leading of the Lord, if we'll surrender to his word and let him guide us, he can lead us in spiritual victory in every battle we face. Verse 9 and 10. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, and having marched, I'm sorry, my computer just uh, did a little trick on me. Let's see, where are we? We just read what? which verse? Verse 9? Oh, it's on the screen. All right. Thank you. I found it. Okay. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, struck them as far as Ezekiah and Makeda. So encouraged and emboldened by God's promise, the army of Israel marches all night for this surprise attack on the armies that came against Gibeon. And the Lord assisted in the battle by throwing them all into a panic. And so uh, we read that later 
in uh, some of the battles that Israel does. All these armies will gather and God will cause the, there to be uh, confusion against the different factions of the army. And so at, as they panicked, Israel attacked, and then that's where many died, but then Israel's army pursued them as they fled. Now, remember that uh, Israel was just 40 years earlier, they were slaves. They were captive. The only experience at war they had was these first two battles in Jericho and a few that they had fought on the other side of the Jordan. So it's not like they're all experienced at warfare. It's God that's giving them the victory. Remember when they fought I without the Lord? That was kind of a reminder to them that it's not their military prowess. It's not how, how great Joshua is as a commander. It's God who's helping them. And the same is true in our spiritual life. Verse uh, 11. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiel, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. The fleeing armies went up over this ridge of Beth Horon, and as they were coming down the other side, the Lord caused these huge hailstones to come down on them and killed more of them than Israel killed which is really a reminder to us that this is God's judgment on those people. It's not just uh, uh, the Israelites are committing genocide and they want to take the land. No, it's 400 years of patience and the cup of iniquity was full and God was judging them. Uh, I have uh, friends that live in Dewey, Arizona, over by Prescott. And I remember one time, uh, he called us that they'd had a, a really bad hailstone. They were about almost the size of a hardball and just destroyed their car and damaged their roof and everything. And I said, what would happen if you went out in it? He said, you probably wouldn't survive. So, uh, yeah, this a thing like this is, is poss quite possible. And the word of God says it, I believe it. Um, but if they had nothing to hide under, those it would be like being pelted with rocks. We read of something similar that happened in Egypt when, when uh, one of the plagues upon Egypt was the hail. And the warning was, if you didn't have shelter, you wouldn't survive. And so the fact that that storm came and only landed on the Amorites and not Israel just clearly shows us this was God's hand. This was a miraculous judgment of God upon the Amorites. Verse 12 and 13. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still in Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Now, this is a verse that uh, uh, Bible critics like to point to. They say, this is not possible. This could not have happened. Um, they want to disprove that the Bible is real. And of course, they have to start with the presupposition that there is no all-powerful God and that the Bible is completely literal 
and not written from the perspective of the viewer. And in, the, in that sense, maybe they're even more literalist than we are. We readily accept the fact that Joshua was reporting or speaking about the way things appear to him, while we know the earth is rotating around the sun. But critics would then say that the earth stopping its rotation would be catastrophic. There'd be tsunamis of unimaginable magnitude, among other catastrophe, but that's because they don't believe there's an all-powerful God who, who is in charge of everything and that miracles are possible. There are five main interpretations of this passage that I could find in scripture, in commentaries, I'm sorry. The five main approaches are the earth stopped rotating, just kind of like it says. The other is the sun's light lingered. The sun's, um, the sun's light was blocked. There's a possible mistranslation here. And a special sign was involved. And lastly, that the whole passage is figurative. Howard's own position is to favor the figurative option, seeing the unique day's existence, not because of some extraordinary astronomical phenomenon, but because the Lord listened to the voice of a man and fought for Israel. An alternative explanation, uh, explanations abound. One is that uh, there was a e solar eclipse on September 30th, 1131 BC, or the passage of the planet Mars came within 70,000 miles of the Earth in 1404 BC, which is near the right date of this event. However it happened, and I don't know how it happened, but I believe that it happened like the Bible says and that the day seemed to be twice as long as a normal day. The sun was about to go down. Now that tells us a couple things. When we have hail, the clouds are so dark, you can't tell where the sun is. The huge hailstones were obviously not a natural event. They were literally heaven sent. If the sun set, many of those fleeing warriors would have escaped. And Joshua could see what was happening, so he shouted out loud for everybody to hear him, Sun stands still, moon stands still. You know, and we would say, well, time just stopped. Have you ever seen one of those uh, sci-fi movies where time stops and only the people who stop time are still moving? I don't think it was like that, but it gives you an idea. Everyone is frozen except the ones that stop the time. I, I don't know how it happened, but I believe it happened. For about an extra 12 hours, it seemed time stood still as Israel's army finished what was most of what was left of the Amorite army. Apparently, at the time of writing this book of Joshua, there was another history book called Jashir that recorded this very long day. Verse 14 and 15. There's been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. So what's so amazing, this verse says, is not that time seemed to stand still, but that God took orders from Joshua. Um, there's this misinterpretation of a passage in Isaiah 45:11. When I was a young in my late teens, I memorized this passage because um, 
the group I was associated with liked to use this passage that you can command God. In the King James Version, it says, command ye me. Newer translations look at the context of that passage and translate it with a question mark. Will you command me? In other words, would you be so audacious as to tell God what to do? So there are these folks, and I was one of them once, who went around and prayed, Lord, we command you to do this, or we command, you said command you me, so I command you. Well, I believe what that Isaiah 45:11 is saying is that's a pretty audacious thing to do. You better be careful when you do something like that. But Joshua could do it here because it was God's will in this particular situation. He led by the Holy Spirit. He carried out God's instructions uh, to extend that day until the enemy was almost entirely defeated. In the New Testament, we're told to ask, to seek, and to knock, and to come confidently before the throne of grace to uh, the throne of grace to find that help in time of need. But that's very different from commanding God. We're also told that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that's what Joshua did. But the scriptures also warn us that when we ask and do not receive, it's because we're asking according to our passions. We can be confident in our prayers when we know we're praying God's will. God intervened that his will might be done on the judgment of the Amorites. And we call such supernatural intervention a miracle. In this case, it was a miracle for the cause of judgment, but also providing that new home for the tribes of Israel. And when that happened, I imagine Gibeon was reassured that they made the right decision. Otherwise, those hailstones would have been on their heads. Are you on the right side in this cosmic battle over the souls of men? Have you chosen the all-powerful and good God who loves you and doesn't want you to perish? When you join his side, it doesn't mean you won't have battles. If you join this spiritual army, you will have to fight the forces of darkness that would hinder you. But you can know that you are on the winning side and you will see him act on your behalf in amazing ways. Jesus is preparing a place for us too, a home for us, like he was for the Israelites. That place is completely free of all evil, for the Bible predicts that the armies of this world will try, unite, and try to stop him, but nothing can stop our God. Amen? That place that he's preparing for us is free of all evil even the evil that's within us, and will be our home more so than any place you've ever experienced in this life. The closest thing here we have is a group of believers who love Jesus and one another. You know, every time, when I go away, every time I come back, I, I enjoy my home, but it's not home. This is my home. You're my home. My brothers and sisters in Christ are my home. So on, on this time away, I got to be in my home in another place because I got to spend time with 
my brother and sister in Christ over there and their family, the family of believers there. And I was home there. But someday we'll really be home. Yeah. I'm looking forward to being home. Home with my Savior. Home with all my brothers and sisters. Home with my brothers and sisters that have gone before me. We need, this is from Pastor David Jackman. He says, we need to constantly relearn that lesson in our lives whenever we face situations of danger, difficulty, or complexity. God's back is never turned. Nothing can slip into your life without his knowledge. Nothing can happen to you without, with his eyes closed because behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. We can sleep because he never does. Divine sovereignty embraces a wisdom that is infinite, a power that is total, and a rule that is absolute. One of the great foundations of our faith is that we know that nothing occurs outside the sovereign will of God who works all things together for the good of his people. What look like impossible circumstances to us are within his knowledge and control. In fact, he's actively working out his good and perfect will through them. Verses 16 to 21. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave of Makeda. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found and hidden in the cave of Makeda. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But don't stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Don't let them enter their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. And when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua at the camp of Makeda. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. So those five kings had hidden in that cave. They were caught, discovered. They, they basically imprisoned them in the cave by putting the large stone there. And as the army finished the war, they all came back together to that spot. A few of the Amorites had escaped back into their cities and the rest of Joshua, this chapter 10 that uh, we're on right now, the end of the chapter tells about their conquest of those cities. Verses uh, 22 to 24, Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who'd gone with him, come near, put your feet on the neck of these kings. And they came near and put their feet on their necks. Joshua had, had taken the kings out of the cave and laid them on the ground before his army. He called his commanders to put their feet on the neck of those kings. It's a sign of complete authority over them. Uh, in scripture, it's, it's used numerous times. And in fact, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 verse one, where uh, he's defending the fact that there is the father and the son really to the Jewish leaders. Because Psalm 110 says, 
says, Yahweh said to Adonai. The Lord says to my Lord. Yahweh says to Adonai, the eternal king of Israel, says to the Lord of David. So there's two lords, right? God the Father and God the Son. And he says, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Okay? And he's already put the enemy, the greatest enemy, death, under his feet. Amen? And there will be a time when every enemy will be under Jesus' feet. Verses 22 to 27. And Joshua said to them, don't be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all the enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death and hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remains to this very day. So then uh, Joshua commanded the people the same thing that God had commanded him. Be strong and courageous. There's still the northern kingdoms to fight. They're all going to unite against you. But be strong and courageous. And then they executed the kings and hung them on trees and buried their bodies in the cave. Most of us, I think today, that are here today, are in a kind of similar situation in a spiritual sense that the Israel was in this passage. We've face trials in our lives. We fight spiritual battles. We've had some losses. We weren't listening sometimes, but the Lord keeps after us and teaches us and brings us victories. And we're standing in victory today because the Lord fights for us. Have you ever considered where you would be if the Holy Spirit wasn't working in your life and calling you and drawing you to Jesus and checking you when you're disobedient? Have you ever thought about where you would be if that wasn't the case? But he is, and that's why we're victorious. But we need to continue to be strong and courageous for the battles that lie ahead. The enemy of our soul will do all that he can to make us ineffective and discouraged and fearful. But never forget, the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? It's not your battle, it's the Lord's battle. He's the one who's going to win it. We look to our commander and we follow his directions. We arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit. And we persevere until he brings us to the home he has prepared for us. Just like he was bringing the Israelites to a home he had prepared for them. In Revelation, it's predicted that people will try to hide like these men, these kings did, from the wrath of God in dens and caves of the earth. But there's no hiding from God. The first couple that sinned hid in the garden, but instead of wrath they deserved, they were given great grace and even given coverings for their nakedness. They had another chance to recognize that the word of the Lord is there for our good. We are all recipients of those numerous chances, but those who end up hardening their hearts towards the goodness of God like the Amorites did will find their hiding place will be discovered. 
and they must face the real Lord of justice. Though he's not willing that any of us should perish, he will not force us to accept his grace. And should we refuse his grace, we would have to receive his justice. Either we accept that he took the justice we deserve, as we celebrated earlier with communion, or we will have to receive it for ourselves. God will always be just, and we wouldn't want it any other way. Amen? Amen. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you that we are constantly drawn by you, constantly helped by you, constantly encouraged by you, that you're constantly fighting the battles. Where would we be without you? Thank you, Lord, for this physical parallel of a spiritual reality that we face today. Sometimes our, our battles seem insurmountable, but there is nothing too hard for you. And Lord, this morning I pray if there's someone here who thinks that they're beyond your reach, they're beyond your help, that they would hear this message, that nothing is too hard for you, that you are for them and not against them, and that you can make them victorious because of your life in them. Lord, as we go, help us to remember that we are in a war and that we will fight until the day we're home, until the day we take the land that you have prepared for us. So help us be diligent. Help us not fear, but be courageous in this battle and help us persevere to the end because of your life in us. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Thank you for our time of worship this morning and our, our time together. Be with us throughout this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you.